What's going on, y'all? It's Jared. Give me what you need in news and interviews. I am the Lanyap Tech on the Lanyap Legends podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Today on the show, we have Mr. Gregory Rattler. He's the CEO and Executive Director of Silverback Society. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you very much, brother. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So, uh, like I said in previous podcast, um, you also in interview other people who have been on the podcast, who have been a part of this great organization. Um, the Silverback Society has been providing services for years in the New Orleans area. Uh, we give it back to the community. Of course, again, like I said, I am a member. So uh, please, please, Mr. Gregory Rattler, let the people know a little bit about yourself. Oh, awesome. Okay. Um, so um, my name is Greg Rattler, Jr., uh, born and raised here in the city of New Orleans. Uh, went to St. Augustine High School, uh, the greatest high school on the face of the planet. Um, then went to uh, Howard University and uh <laughs> Graduated. I want to tell that. Okay, go, go. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Hey, hey, brother, that, that, that's that's that standard issue. Got to have that. Um, <laughs> after I graduated from Howard, uh, came back home, uh, went to Tulane University, got a master's in public health. Um, since that time, brother, you know, really been working in nonprofit education and youth development uh, since that time. And um, anything I can do to try to help affect positive change in the well-being and the lives of young people, um, I'm on top of it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, you are. All right. So um, to the people, uh, let them know why did you get in? How did you get into the Silverback Society? Matter of fact, let's, let's, go, let's go back. All right. Let's talk about the Silverback Society. Let's talk, let's talk about how it started, why it was started, who started with the founders and stuff like that. Yeah, awesome. Okay. Um, so the Silverback Society started in uh, 1998. A uh, gentleman named Pastor Arthur Wadsworth and a gentleman named Lloyd Dennis. Um, they were called to a school named Murray Henderson on the West Bank. Um, the principal at the time, she was having a little trouble with the young men, um, didn't really have any male presence on the campus. Um, she knew Lloyd, a uh, new pastor, so she called him and asked those brothers to come in. Um, they really went and just started working with these boys from their experience as fathers, um, you know, knowing how to work with young men, knowing how to raise young men. Um, so they just started working with the brothers and came back the next week and the next week and the next week. Um, and at the end of that, they kind of sat down and looked at each other and said, all right, we, we have something here. We just need to, you know, codify this and put this into a curriculum. Um, and since that time, we've grown from that one school to 17 partner schools. Um, unfortunately, you know, dealing with the pandemic, we're only uh, able to work with six schools right now. Um, but those remaining schools have still voiced um, their, their, their consideration and their desire to still be part of the Silverback Society family. Uh, going back next year. So um, that's how this work got started. That's where we are here now. Um, we work with these young boys, not for them. We work with them for the women and the children who are going to rely on them in the future, right? Um, because if we don't teach these young boys how to be men, um, we can't be upset when they don't learn how to be men if we didn't take the time to teach them. So that's why we go every single week. We show up without fail. We're in the school um, when we have the opportunity to, um, we're in the school and now we're showing up via Zoom. All right, all right, all right. Nice, nice. Okay. So um, what got you involved with the Superback Society? Like, how did you start? Who, who recruited you? How you get in? Right. Um, so actually, my, my father uh, joined the Silverback Society before I did. And um, I would always hear him talk about um, the interaction that he had with the young men, um, the kind of conversations he was having with the young men. Um, and I personally, um, you know, I was blessed. I was extremely blessed because I had a number of men, be their blood or community relatives, a number of men who were always willing to and unafraid to teach me what it is, what it was to be a man. Right. Um, and as I got older, I really began to appreciate their intentional intervention in my life, regardless of whether I wanted it or appreciated it or not. Their intentional intervention in my life. You know, I, I began to appreciate it and understand it more. Um, and then hearing my father have the same kind of um, excitement with seeing young men succeed that he had when I succeeded. Um, I was like, I got to I got to see what this is about. And uh, like literally on my first session, um, I got to see young boys aspire to be the men who were standing in front of them. And it was like, like, all right, I'll be back. Where's the next? And I have, I've never left. <laughs> that's what's up that's what's up all right so how can someone um be a part of the organization um i guess as far as a mentor and a mentee 
Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so we right now, um, we are mentoring all of the eighth grade boys at our partner schools. Um, so a part of our agreement with the schools is um, if we can't have all of the eighth grade boys, we don't take any of the eighth grade boys. Um, one, because we're not going to be used as a punishment or a reward um, for young men, but also because we want these boys to understand the power that they have as a cohort. Right. Like imagine the, the, the surprise and the aha moment for young men, eighth grade young men, when you tell them, look, you know, there's a principal in the school. There's a dean of culture. You got 150 teachers. But you young men, the 25, 30, 15 of you, you all run the school because the moment you brothers decide, look, we come in here. This is going to be a building of education, growth, good citizenship, learning. If the moment that you eighth grade males decide that. That's exactly what the school building is going to be like. It doesn't matter what the principal says. It doesn't matter what the teachers say. And when those young men come to a place where they understand that they really have that power, as long as they 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 lean on each other and appreciate the power that they have as a cohort, um, just seeing that transformation for young men is particularly powerful. And then as they move on into high school, putting that stuff into into play, man, like it's I mean, there's there's no way you can deny the impact that it's working. No way. Right, 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 right. I got that from my uh, my first day, um, but I, I'll be talking about that a little bit later on in the show. Right. Um, great, 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 great. So uh, yes. talk about how people become mentors. Uh, I remember when I reached out, uh, I worked with a coworker. Uh, he actually, he was on the podcast earlier. Um, Mr. Oswald Cooper. He bought. He told me about the organization. Right. Uh, ah. Yeah, uh, so he told me about the organization, and um, then I had a meeting with you, <laughs> like a little interview process, and. Yes. Uh, that's how my mentorship began. But uh, can you tell people elaborate how the recruitment process, how people are eligible and stuff like that? Yeah, no doubt. Um, so an eligible man is a man who has some time, treasure and talent to share with some young boys. Um, typically, the schools pick their uh, mentoring session. Um, it's either going to be Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday. It's going to start no later than 930. I'm sorry, no earlier than 930. Um, and it's going to end no later than 230. Because we make the assumption that we got nothing but high quality men who have families and communities that they're responsible for. So we just assume that every single weekend, these brothers are going to take their family on a trip and they're leaving Thursday evening and they're not coming back until Monday evening. So we don't ask brothers to do anything outside of Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. So if brothers have interest, time, treasure, talent that they want to share with these boys, they can go to our website, www.silverbacksociety.com. And click on the, the sign up link, the volunteer and put your information in. Uh, when you submit that information, it's going to come directly to me. Um, as Brother Jared just said, um, I'll send you an email to find out a time that works best for you. Um, if you're comfortable doing a distance face to face meeting, if not, you want to do Zoom, we can do Zoom. Um, and then I'll get you to sign up, uh, talk to you a little bit more about the organization, about the work, find out a little bit more about you. Um, tell you a little bit more about the brothers who are part of this dynamic brotherhood. Um, and then one day, you know, we'll, we'll put you on a team and hopefully you uh, you'll develop some great relationships with some young men just like you did. Right, 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 right. I sure did. Uh, I remember my first day, um, I was really rather quiet. <laughs> Talking to a great boy. I think it was, it was the first day we actually began a session. Um, and I just sat back and saw how the other mentors worked with them uh, and we ran through the steps. So can you explain um, what's the process of a mentor, what he does on the first step? I know there's a process and I'd rather you explain it because you're better at it than I am. <laughs> yeah. um, so so the, the mentor process really is uh, we move at the pace of the brother, right? So we use um, the team concept. Um, so each of our partner schools has a team of brothers who are committed to that school. So they go to that school. We start the week after Thanksgiving and we work with the brothers all the way through the end of the school year. So you're going to see the same boys every Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday for one hour, starting the week after Thanksgiving all the way through the end of the school year. Right. Um, so each brother, as you come on to your team, your first year, you know, you may not be expected to uh, um, contribute very much outside of your comfort level. Um, but, you know, brothers like yourself. Your first couple of sessions, I remember saying to you, Brother Jared, you got something that you want to jump in, you know, feel free. And when you felt comfortable, you contributed whatever piece you had to, to, to offer to the conversation. So we try to let brothers 
you know, like move in as they feel comfortable. So if you want to just be there to be a presence, you know, like some of the brothers just stand around the classroom just to make sure the brothers feel the men in the classroom with them. Um, if that's what you feel comfortable doing your first year, by all means do that. If you, there's a particular piece of the curriculum that is, you know, it, 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 it resonates with you and you want to have that conversation with the young men, you just talk to your lead mentor and say, look, let me do that part. The lead mentor is going to back up because the objective for us it's for these young boys to see a team of men who get nothing from them. We're not here to get anything from them. These brothers are not being paid. These brothers are, are volunteering their own time to come spend this time with these young brothers. So these boys see black men come from all over the city, all walks of life, all kinds of experience, but we all come together to improve their well-being and their lifelong options and opportunities. So as long as we can be in a space where we give these boys a, a healthy example of what manhood is, you know, we, we are, we're doing our job. We are, we are standing up to our calling. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, I like how we, uh, it's always a enjoyment how we all come together at school, we all arrive together, and then we yes. all at the same time. And uh, people know who we are once we arrive. People are like, oh, who, if they don't know who they actually, who are, they, who are those guys? Who are them? And they say, oh, we're part, part of the civil back society. Um, we all dressed up. Some people be dressed up. Some people, some people might have suits on, mm-hmm. have jeans on. Some might be on, on our own construction business. I mean, all, like you say, we're all walks of life and we enjoy it. Um, but I remember my first time, I think the first time I really spoke, <laughs> it was uh, out of anger. Because I think it was, I think it was like a second or third session, and you know how they are, eight grade boys are. They being cracking yeah. jokes, um, laughing, uh, trying to get people attention, messing it up for other kids, and I was just angry because we sitting here providing all this time and energy, making sure y'all listen to us, so y'all don't have to go through the roadblocks we had to go to. When right. We- we, ain't ha- we didn't have that when we was coming up at all. Right, right. And, um, so <laughs> I can't. I don't know what I, I don't know what I said because <laughs> I, I blacked out. I don't remember what I said, and I just know it was quiet for the rest of the, the rest of the time. <laughs> but 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 that, but brother, you you have your own individual impact, and right. I, I I think that's the beauty of the Silverback Society, man. We got brothers from all over. Brothers bring all kinds of experience. Brothers bring all kinds of understanding. Brothers bring all kinds of information to bear for some eighth grade boys. This is not the CEO of Google or or Facebook. These are some young, impressionable minds that are thirsting for knowledge, right? So for brothers to have the care and concern to say, look, young man, I want you to take advantage of this time right now because this time is not promised to you tomorrow, the next day, the next day. Like that, that shows that you have a care and a concern for this young man that oftentimes, bro, we find that the people who stand in front of them and teach them math, science, arithmetic, they don't have that level of concern for them, right? So to have a black man, and the point that you made about us showing up together, the impact that it makes when a group of five, six black men, the same five or six black men keep coming to this school, keep showing up, keep making their presence felt in that school building, we become part of the school. You know, when we, when we were leaving Cog Hill, that principal, she was looking for us. She wanted yeah, to talk to us before yeah. we left. Yeah, she wanted to talk to us before we left. So we we become a part of the school, brother. And that's that's something that I think that is often like the brothers don't understand the value that they have in just spending one hour a week with these eight grade boys, man. We like brothers just don't understand it. Right. I mean, I mean, we we, we made a huge impact. I can tell we made a huge impact. Um, Absolutely. And uh, I think one of the mentors told us at the end. That he said um, that one of the students was talking. He was like, "Yeah, man, we're not gonna do that tonight." We don't know what he meant by it. I mean, but just by us being there, we might get them out of trouble instead of doing something crazy or breaking somebody's car or selling drugs or something like that. They're looking at us like, "Yo, if, if he could do it, I can do it." So, uh, great, great, great. All right, so let's talk about the, uh, the other programs um, that come from Civil Back Society. Can you talk about what, what we do outside of the classroom, like some of the activities that we do? Yeah. All right. So um, so each year, um, a part of the calendar is we take um, each school has their own individual day uh, where they go to Dookie Chase um, up until her, her passing. Uh, Miss Leah Chase, whether it was on her walker, on her scooter, if somebody had to assist her, um, she always came to the back 
to talk to these young boys so that they understand that she had a special menu for them. She gave them the VIP uh, uh, dining room in the back of Dookie Chase, you know, and they get a custom dining etiquette experience, right? So that is something um, that I didn't really understand the impact of until a couple years ago. Um, I mean, you know how it is. We're sitting in Dookie Chase and a young man is just like, he's like, he's just off. He's, he's just in awe, bro. Looking around at all of the pictures. And so, you know, I kind of scoot up to him, you know, don't want to be loud. I kind of just get in his ear. I'm like, you know, young brother, you having a good time? He's like, man, Mr. Greg, I see this place every single day. And he's like, I've, I've never been in here. So me, I'm thinking like with a with an with a old jaded hackneyed mind, right? I'm like, maybe he gets on a bus and passes Dookie Chase every day going to school or something. The young man said, Mr. Greg, I live across the street. I wow. live in the I live in the housing development across the street. I see this building every single day. And this is the first time I've ever been in here. So for the Silverback Society to be able to say we gave that kind of exposure to a young man when he has not been able to have it living across the street from Dookie Chase. I mean, I, I can't I, I, I mean, I don't I don't know what else to say I mean, in terms of impact. Right. Um, so that's the that's the first activity off campus. Um, and then the second activity off campus is our end of the year event. So we. Um, typically, you know, we got 16, 17 partner schools. Uh, we may bring the brothers from these three schools together, then grab the brothers from these four schools together. We bring them to an event. And the objective of that event is to push these brothers into high school. Right. So let's just say um, McDonald 32, um, uh, um, Cog Hill uh, and Robert Moton. We'll bring those three schools together. Right. Then during the session, we'll say, all right, how many of you brothers planning to go to 35 next year? Right. Four brothers from Moton stand up, three brothers from Cog Hill, two brothers from 32. We say, all right, y'all brothers, y'all go stand in the corner. We need y'all to exchange names, phone numbers, social media handles, because in the fall, when you brothers walk into 35, young man, you're not walking in by yourself. You're walking with a team of brothers, right? Who's supposed to like, like sharpen your edges as you sharpen theirs. Then what we also do is we give each young man his individual silverback school bag, right? So each young man gets a school bag and we tell him, look, we suggest that you wear this when you first get to your high school because there are some silverbacks in the building. And when they see you wearing your silverback school bag, they're gonna grab you, put you under their wing and teach you the ropes of how it goes in the school. But you remember, when you see some silverbacks walking through the, through the hallway one day, you're gonna have to do the exact same thing for them, right? So those are the two experiences that we have for the boys that are really about trying to expand their horizons and make sure that they understand that that cohort thing does not end when they graduate. That's why we tell them once a silverback, always a silverback. Exactly, exactly. I remember when um, one of our sessions that you all, actually you brought, uh, I think you brought two upperclassmen. From Eastern. From on Eastern, yeah. Yes. For the society. And I, I guess those they, they did the program, and then when they got to Easton, they started their own high school superback society program. Correct? Wait, let me let me tell you about these young men, brother. Yeah. So we we've done this work such to the point that we've seen so many young men go through this eighth grade work. Um, these young men got to Warren Easton and called us to a seven o'clock in the morning business meeting. Right, me and Lloyd. Look, y'all got to y'all got to come show up. Right, these brothers decided that they wanted to have an experience in high school that allowed them to further their silverback training and learning. Right, um, so we came up with three objectives to help these brothers continue on their journey to be better men, to force the school to serve them better as students, and then lastly to inspire them to do service in the school and in the community surrounding the school. So all we do really, brother, is cut checks. These young men come up with the object, the objectives, they come up with the initiatives, they come up with the goals, um, they do all of the negotiation. They are responsible for having conversation with their school administration to find a room to hold their silverback meetings. We don't even get involved in that. We we all of the all of the teaching and 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 knowledge and information that we share with these brothers in eighth grade, when they get to high school, we back up and say, all right, brother, put it to use. Because when they graduate, we want them to be able to put on their resume. I organized this voter drive. You know, I was the I did all of the finances for the donations that we collected to go provide 
um, care packages to the people in New Orleans East who were victims of the, uh, the tornado a couple years ago. Like that, that is the kind of stuff that these young brothers are doing. And all we have to do literally is show up when they call us to a seven o'clock business meeting. It's because they want to present a plan to us and they want us to give them some money. That's it, brother. And how, how can you not support young men in experiencing and putting their leadership capacity into play? How could you not support them? What's going on, y'all? Thank y'all for listening to the Land Young Legends podcast. Make sure you're subscribed to all our social media outlets, um, YouTube, Twitch, LinkedIn. We're all over the place now. So make sure you look for Lang Up Legends and everything you use. Please subscribe. Please like our Facebook page. Make sure you retweet us on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Sure did. Uh, I remember my first day. Um, I was really rather quiet. <laughs> Talking to a great boy. I think it was, it was the first day we actually began a session. Um, and I just sat back and saw how the other mentors worked with him, uh, and we ran through the steps. So, can you explain um, what's the process of a mentor? What he does on the first step? I know there's a process, and I'd rather you explain it because you're better at it than I am. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so the, the mentor process really is. Uh, we move at the pace of the brother, right? So we use um, the team concept. Um, so each of our partner schools has a team of brothers who are committed to that school. So they go to that school. We start the week after Thanksgiving and we work with the brothers all the way through the end of the school year. So you're going to see the same boys every Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday for one hour, starting the week after Thanksgiving all the way through the end of the school year, right? Um, so each brother, as you come on to your team, your first year, you know, you may not be expected to uh, um, contribute very much outside of your comfort level. Um, but, you know, brothers like yourself, your first couple of sessions, I remember saying to you, Brother Jared, you got something that you want to jump in, you know, feel free. And when you felt comfortable, you contributed whatever piece you had to, 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 to offer to the conversation. So we try to let brothers, you know, like move in as they feel comfortable. So if you want to just be there to be a presence, you know, like some of the brothers just stand around the classroom just to make sure the brothers feel the men in the classroom with them. Um, if that's what you feel comfortable doing your first year, by all means do that. If you there's a particular piece of the curriculum that is, you know, it it, it, it resonates with you and you want to have that conversation with the young men, you just talk to your lead mentor and say, look, let me do that part. The lead mentor is going to back up because the objective for us is for these young boys to see a team of men who get nothing from them. We're not here to get anything from them. These brothers are not being paid. These brothers are, are volunteering their own time to come spend this time with these young brothers. So these boys see black men come from all over the city, all walks of life, all kinds of experience, but we all come together to improve their well-being and their lifelong options and opportunities. So as long as we can be in a space where we give these boys a, a healthy example of what manhood is, you know, we, we are, we're doing our job. We are, we are standing up to our calling. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, I like how we, uh, it's always a enjoyment how we all come together at school, we all arrive together, and then we yes. all together at the same time. And uh, people know who we are once we arrive. People are like, oh, who, if they don't know who they actually who are, they, who are those guys, who are them? And they say, oh, we're part, part of the Civil Back Society. Um, we all dressed up, some people be dressed up, some people, some people might have suits on, mm -hmm. have jeans on. Some might be on our own construction business. I mean, all, like you say, we all walk to life and we enjoy it. Um, but I remember my first time, I think the first time I really spoke, <laughs> it was uh, out of anger because I think it was, I think it was like a second or third session. And you know how they are, eight grade boys are. They being yeah. cracking jokes, um, laughing, uh, trying to get people attention, messing it up for all other kids. And I was just angry because we sitting here providing all this time and energy, making sure y'all listen to us, so y'all don't have to go through the roadblocks we had to go to. Right. We, just, we, we didn't have that when we was coming up at all. Right. Right. And um, so <laughs> I can't. I don't know what I, I don't know what I said because <laughs> I, I blacked out. I don't remember what I said, and I just know it was quiet for the rest of the, the rest of the time. <laughs> but but. But, that, but brother, you you have your own individual impact. 
And right. I, I, I think that's the beauty of the Silverback Society, man. We got brothers from all over. Brothers bring all kinds of experience. Brothers bring all kinds of understanding. Brothers bring all kinds of information to bear for some eighth grade boys. This is not the CEO of Google or, or Facebook. These are some young, impressionable minds that are thirsting for knowledge, right? So for brothers to have the care and concern to say, look, young man, I want you to take advantage of this time right now because this time is not promised to you tomorrow, the next day, or the next day. Like that, that shows that you have a care and a concern for this young man that oftentimes, bro, we find that the people who stand in front of them and teach them math, science, arithmetic, they don't have that level of concern for them, right? So to have a black man, and the point that you made about us showing up together, the impact that it makes when a group of five, six black men, the same five or six black men keep coming to this school, keep showing up, keep making their presence felt in that school building, we become part of the school. Okay. You know, when we, when, we, when we were leaving Cog Hill, that principal, she was looking for us. She wanted yes. to talk to us before yes. we left. <laughs> yeah, she wanted to talk to us before we left. So we we become a part of the school, brother. And that's that's something that I think that is often like the brothers don't understand the value that they have in just spending one hour a week with these eight grade boys, man. We like brothers just don't understand it. Right. I mean, I mean, we we, we made a huge impact. I can tell we made a huge impact. Um, Absolutely. And uh, I think one of the mentors told us at the end that he said um, that one of the students was talking, he was like, yeah, man, we're not going to do that tonight. We don't know what he meant by it. I mean, but just by us being there, we might get them out of trouble instead of doing something crazy or breaking somebody's car or selling drugs or something like that. They're looking at us like, yo, if, if he could do it, I can do it. So uh, great, great, great. All right, so let's talk about the, uh, the other programs um, that come from Silverback Society. Can you talk about what, what we do outside of the classroom, like some of the activities that we do? Yeah. All right. So um, so each year, um, a part of the calendar is we take um, each school has their own individual day uh, where they go to Dookie Chase um, up until her, her passing. Uh, Miss Leah Chase, whether it was on her walker, on her scooter, if somebody had to assist her, um, she always came to the back to talk to these young boys so that they understand that she had a special menu for them. She gave them the VIP uh, uh, dining room in the back of Dookie Chase, you know, and they get a custom dining etiquette experience, right? So that is something um, that I didn't really understand the impact of until a couple years ago. Um, I mean, you know how it is. We're sitting in Dookie Chase and a young man is just like, he's like, he's just off. He's, he's just in awe, bro, looking around at all of the pictures. And so, you know, I kind of scoot up to him, you know, don't want to be loud. I kind of just get in his ear. I'm like, you know, young brother, you having a good time? He's like, man, Mr. Greg, I see this place every single day. And he's like, I've, I've never been in here. So me, I'm thinking like with an with a, with a old jaded hackneyed mind, right? I'm like, maybe he gets on a bus and passes Dookie Chase every day going to school or something. The young man said, Mr. Greg, I live across the street. I wow. live in the I live in the housing development across the street. I see this building every single day. And this is the first time I've ever been here. So for the Silverback Society to be able to say we gave that kind of exposure to a young man when he has not been able to have it living across the street from Dookie Chase. I mean, I, I can't I, I, I mean, I don't I don't know what else to say um, in terms of impact. Right. Um, so that's the that's the first activity off campus. Um, and then the second activity off campus is our end of the year event. So we um, typically, you know, we got 16, 17 partner schools. Uh, we may bring the brothers from these three schools together, then grab the brothers from these four schools together. We bring them to an event and the objective of that event is to push these brothers into high school, right? So let's just say um, McDonald 32, um, uh, um, Cog Hill uh, and Robert Moton. We'll bring those three schools together, right? Then during the session, we'll say, all right, how many of you brothers planning to go to 35 next year, right? Four brothers from Moton stand up, three brothers from Cog Hill, two brothers from 32. We say, all right, y'all brothers, y'all go stand in the corner. We need y'all to exchange names, phone numbers, social media handles, because in the fall, when you brothers walk into 35, young man, you're not walking in by yourself. You're walking with a team of brothers, right? Who's supposed to like, like sharpen your edges as you sharpen theirs. Then what we also do is we give each young man his individual silverback school bag, right? So each young man gets a school bag and we tell him, look, we suggest that you wear this 
when you first get to your high school because there are some silverbacks in the building. And when they see you wearing your silverback school bag, they're gonna grab you, put you under their wing, and teach you the ropes of how it goes in the school. But you remember, when you see some silverbacks walking through the, through the hallway one day, you're gonna have to do the exact same thing for them, right? So those are the two experiences that we have for the boys that are really about trying to expand their horizons and make sure that they understand that that cohort thing does not end when they graduate. That's why we tell them once a silverback, always a silverback. Exactly, exactly. I remember when um, one of our sessions that you all actually you brought, uh, I think you brought two upperclassmen from Eastern. From on Eastern, yeah. Yes. For the society. And I, I guess those when they, they did the program, and then when they got to Eastern, they started their own high school superback society program, correct? Wait, let me let me tell you about these young men, brother. Yeah. So we we've done this work such to the point that we've seen so many young men go through this eighth grade work. Um, these young men got to Warren Eastern and called us to a seven o'clock in the morning business meeting. Right? Me and Lloyd, they, look, y'all got to y'all got to come show up, right? These brothers decided that they wanted to have an experience in high school that allowed them to further their silverback training and learning, right? Um, so we came up with three objectives to help these brothers continue on their journey to be better men, to force the school to serve them better as students, and then lastly, to inspire them to do service in the school and in the community surrounding the school. So all we do really, brother, is cut checks. These young men come up with the object, the objectives, they come up with the initiatives, they come up with the goals, um, they do all of the negotiation. They are responsible for having conversation with their school administration to find a room to hold their silverback meetings. We don't even get involved in that. We we all of the all of the teaching and 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 knowledge and information that we share with these brothers in eighth grade, when they get to high school, we back up and say, all right, brother, put it to use. Because when they graduate, we want them to be able to put on their resume, I organized this voter drive. You know, I was the I did all of the finances for the donations that we collected to go provide. Um, care packages to the people in New Orleans East who were victims of the, uh, the tornado a couple years ago. Like that, that is the kind of stuff that these young brothers are doing. And all we have to do literally is show up when they call us to a seven o'clock business meeting. It's because they want to present a plan to us and they want us to give them some money. That's it, brother. And how, how can you not support young men in experiencing and putting their leadership capacity into play? How could you not support them? Exactly. And when he was uh, presenting and he was telling his story to the eighth grade class at Cock Hill, it was like they, their eyes lit up. I think that was the most focused they've ever been in uh, since we started the program when they came in and it was really engaged with them. And they had a lot of questions, and a lot of feedback, and I, I knew they enjoyed that, that session right there. Cool, cool, cool. All right. So let's talk about uh, working for a nonprofit organization. So what a... <laughs> What are some roadblocks or some hiccups that happens when you're running a nonprofit organization? Oh, man, um, <laughs> the, the rules, bro. I, I'm, I'm be honest with you, the rules. Um, because when you do nonprofit work, um, you, you have to be clear that you are trying to affect some public good. You're not getting into nonprofit work because you want to be rich. I mean, let's, let's be honest about it, all right? It doesn't happen that way. Um, you want to do nonprofit work because there is a particular problem in your community, in your neighborhood, in your city that you think your skill set can influence, can change, can affect. Right. So that's why you do nonprofit work. The rules by which you go about accessing funding, maintaining funding, um, even identifying sources of funding, um, it can it can it, it can get to be a little aggravating at times. Um, I was lucky. I had an opportunity to work for our foundation to be a program officer. Um, and I learned a lot of the tricks about how you get people to understand and appreciate your work from having to appreciate other people's work, right? So now I understand how you have to talk to program officers, how you have to engage foundations, how you have to present um, your logic model, your, your theory of change. You have to have all of this stuff lined up in order for folks to say, here, I'll give you a couple of dollars for you to impact change in your community, right? So that's pretty much the thing that I found to be most aggravating about working in the nonprofit space. Um, the ability to be on the ground 
um, in close proximity to the people who have the need is the thing that I love the absolute most about nonprofit. Um, I kind of despise the corporate environment. Um, I think it's I think it's very phony. Um, I don't think any of it is concerned about the well-being of people. It's all about a bottom line. Um, so whenever you have an opportunity to do some work that feels good to your heart, you know, you got you got even though it might not feel good to your pockets, you know, all the time, you, you got you gotta follow it, you gotta follow your heart. Okay. And can, can, can you talk about the more of the rules and regulations? Because I believe, can you tell the people the difference between have, running a nonprofit organization and running a, a regular business for, that's for profit? Yeah. Okay. Um, so for, for us, the, the nonprofit status basically says we don't make any income, right? So we don't, um, none of the activities that we do produces income for the organization, right? We have um, a lot of, both community and philanthropic support, um, which is how we basically, you know, fund the work that we do. Um, when you're running a business, you have the ability to exchange goods, services for income, for fees. We don't, we don't have that capacity uh, because if we do, we violate our standing with the uh, with the government. Where businesses pay taxes, we don't because we have no income, right? So. Um, for us, it, it works well because that's one thing we don't have to worry about. And we can focus all of our energy, all of our resources, all of our time um, into making sure that we're doing what we need to do to have healthy relationships with schools such that we serve eighth grade boys. Okay. All right. And you talk about some of the, um, since you recently became this, uh, the CEO, executive oh. <laughs> director of the organization, right. uh, can you talk about some of the do's and don'ts of running a nonprofit organization. Ah, wow. The do's and don'ts of running an organization. Um, I would say that the do is be clear about the people that you want to serve, right? Um, a lot of nonprofit organizations experience something that's called mission creep, mission drift, um, because they lose sight of what it is that they were started for. Um, the Silverback Society was founded to provide guidance um, to young boys from volunteer men who are experienced, have you know done well for themselves and have time, treasure, and talent to share. As long as we stay committed to that, then we're doing what we're supposed to do in terms of why this organization was founded. Also, I think nonprofits, um, a don't is don't mess up your money. A lot of organizations, fiscal mismanagement is why they fail. It's why the organizations collapse. Um, you know, not having good financial practices, not having good checks and balances, um, or having just one person who's responsible for all of the triage. Everything has to go in and through that person, right? Um, that creates another opportunity for something to be missed, a report to be dropped, um, 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 a, a standard to not be kept, um, um, a, a rule or a guideline to not be abided by, and something that small, even though it may be simple in the course of your, um, your operations, as it appears to your funding source, that could be the end of your relationship, right? So you got a lot of things that you need to just be thinking about. And, you know, I, I advise folks who are leaders of nonprofit organizations to make sure that you have a great relationship with your board, have right. a great relationship with your board. Because in a lot of instances, there are some things that as you are focused on the organization, trying to make sure that the organization is, is doing well and, and, and surviving, your board sees what happens around you. Your board sees what happened in the environment, right? So they can keep you, you know, keep you grounded and still keep you aware of everything that's happening, all of the moving parts while you're trying to make sure the organization goes forward. Okay, I'm I, I glad you brought that up because that was one of my next part of my next question. Could you explain? Because uh, a lot of people, some people might not even know what the, when you're saying the board, they might not know what you what you're uh, saying about the board. Can you explain the relationship between the board and CEO? How that works in a nonprofit organization? Right, right. Um, so I am the CEO uh, and executive director of the Silverback Society. I technically work for the board of directors of the Silverback Society. Um, they are the governors of the organization. I report to them um, and all staff of the Silverback Society report to me. Um, I have the ultimate responsibility of keeping them up to speed on the financial status of the organization um, in terms of our relationships with our funders, in terms of our relationships with any reports that we owe. Um, I also have the responsibility for basically keeping the board up to speed with what is going on in the organization, right? Um, 
they don't know what happens unless I share it with them, right? So I have to be the glue between the board who are, you know, provide oversight for me and the staff who work, who I work alongside to make sure that we uh, discharge all of our duties successfully. Okay. So the, right. board, the, board's very, the board's very important. That's, right. they have five weeks, so yeah, they're very important. <laughs> all right. Um, can you talk about, this is one of my favorite questions I always ask people this on the show. Um, <laughs> what was your biggest mistake? Um, it could be running Silverback Society or previously one of your other uh, positions or career. Um, what was your biggest mistake and how did you come back from that? Ooh, wow. Biggest mistake. Um, I think my biggest mistake was probably not allowing so before i came to the silverback society i worked for an organization called ceasefire new orleans under uh mitch landrew and i think one of my biggest mistakes was i i pushed the staff at ceasefire um i think i, I think i may have pushed them a little too hard um some of the brothers were you know still trying to find their footing um you know coming back from you know the challenges that they had in their lives um, and me seeing the potential in those brothers when they probably didn't see it in themselves, I, I just pushed. I just kept pushing. Um, and luckily, I had a beautiful brother named Calvin Pep right alongside of me every step of the way. Um, and he always used to counsel me, Greg, your job is to plant the seed and let the creator give the increase. Um, and I think it took too long for me to understand what he was saying to me. Um, and I think I could have I, I could have been a better leader if I didn't push the brothers as much as I did or push them the way that I did. Okay. All right. That's a good example. I like that. I like that. Like self-accountability. I like that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So uh, what type of technology do you use for the organization to help uh, with the program, with the Silverback Society, with the organization, what do you utilize to push the, the agenda? Right, okay. Um, so right now we are using the Zoom platform to conduct our sessions. Um, inside of the Zoom platform, um, we have a deck of PowerPoint slides uh, that we use to reinforce the lessons that we're teaching that particular day. Um, we have seven proprietary lessons um, the seventh one is not exactly written down because it's more of an experience than it is um, a written down lesson. Um, but as as we as we go through the process, we try to make sure that we give the brothers space to feel like they can be involved. Right. So we have um, a silverback app that we just um, got off the ground within the last year or two. Uh, we have a very healthy website um, that we're actually redoing right now to make sure that we can connect it to the link. I mean, to the app and we use the app such that whenever we have opportunities, um, jobs, internships, scholarships, um, externships, whatever it is, we give our silverbacks first dibs. So we use the app to get that information out to our silverbacks and their parents. Um, and also we use it to keep in communication with the schools as well. Um, so between the app, uh, between using the website, uh, you know, and, and trying to stay as advanced as possible, um, you know, we try to stay on the, the front end of the technological curve. Um, we're now using this um, uh, using this new platform to be able to keep all of our records and uh, keep our database up to, up to snuff so that we can get our messages out to all of our Silverback mentors at once. Um, so we're trying to, you know, we're trying to move into the, the technology age at a pretty good clip. All right, all right. Good, 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 good. Okay. All right. So, um, what if somebody wanted to get into the nonprofit organization? Um, what would you tell him or her uh, the ins and out about it? What should they do? Uh, should they go to school for? Should they just start volunteering? If they want to make it a career, what would be their way to do so in your in your vision in your mind? Um, if you if you want to do nonprofit work, I'm almost positive that there's an organization in your community um, that has a space for you. Um, I'm positive that nonprofit organizations are always looking for volunteers. Right. Um, and volunteering with an organization is a great way for you to understand if this line of work is for you, if this particular initiative is for you. 
if your passion for that particular population is as real or authentic as you thought it was. Um, because when you when you have to roll your sleeves up and get in the, in the mud with people and work with them and, you know, the benefit of the work is going to the people and not to you. That really gives you a chance to really evaluate whether or not you really love these people or love this community or love this particular organization the way you say that you do. Right. So I would you know, I would do my research, learn whatever you can about the organization, you know, learn about any initiatives that they've done. See if you can talk to some people in the community who benefited from some of the initiatives that that organization has put on. Um, and if you feel comfortable, follow your heart, move into it. All right. All right. All right. Okay. So you, you touched about it on the last uh, question I asked you. Um, how has COVID impacted the way civil rights society works? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> this, brother, this, this Zoom is a, it's a, it's a, it's a blessing to have. Um, but every time I look into the eyes of one of these young brothers on the camera, like I feel the, I am not there with the young man. I feel it, right? Um, it's, it's something about being in that classroom with those boys, it might get a little musty. You know, it might, the, the, the air might get a little, might get a little thick in the classroom, but you got men in the space who are helping to build and shape other young men, right? So there's something about that engagement, something about that, that space, that environment that's very, very sacred, right? Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of hard to replicate that, 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 um, that emotion, that connection, um, that awareness of where young men are through this, this virtual platform. Um, another thing that COVID has done is stopped us from learning young women. Um, last year, well, the school year that was interrupted by the pandemic was the first year that we actually had our girls pilot, the Power Girls program, right? So, I mean, we were we were learning, brother. Like, you know, we moved this curriculum over to have some of the same conversations that we're having with young men, having in a way that it's it's expressing to young ladies a concern from the perspective of a male, right? Um, it looks a lot different. Um, it's not a team, it's not men, period. It was one, it was Lloyd who went to the school, had a conversation with the young ladies. Um, we paid a female staff member to be in the room at all times. And if any of the young ladies had any questions, they were able to ask that staff person and then feed those questions to Lloyd so that he can be prepared to have that discussion when he came back to uh, to meet with the young ladies the next week. So um, they got silverback bags as well. Um, we have silverback bands that, you know, we got our little tagline on our bands. The young ladies have their own band that say Power Girls. So, you know, pop girls rock, right? So we trying to expand intentionally, um, just like we did with the high school piece to be very slow, uh, to be very intentional about the, the growth and the trajectory that we wanted to see the organization or that particular work of the organization go. Um, so that's that, that's that's been the biggest holdups that we've had from from COVID. Our, our funders have been awesome. Our funders have understood. They've encouraged us to try different things. Um, you know, they've kind of you know tabled some of our evaluation metrics so they can give us some space to kind of learn this new virtual thing. Um, and they've even challenged us to think about how we can incorporate this virtual space into whatever the new normal is going to be whenever we go back in the classroom. So. It's a, it's a it's a crucible for learning right now, brother. And I'm trying to you know trying to be a good student. Okay, can you tell uh, uh, my listeners what are the perks of donating to a nonprofit organization? Because a lot of people are unaware of the perks of donating to a nonprofit organization. Oh yeah, of course. Um, so if, I mean, initially you get your tax write off. Um, that I mean that's a that's a that's the huge part of it. Yeah, you get to write that off on your taxes. Um, but more than anything, you you get the personal satisfaction of knowing that you have had a hand in men or sh men showing up in the Silverback Society's case, men showing up to help young boys to learn the value of thinking, right? To not just do, but to think about what you do. Even if we can get a brother to just pause for a millisecond and think, what if I do this? What if I don't? And then he moves forward. We did our job, right? So, you know, donating to a nonprofit um, you have a hand in changing whatever the conditions, whatever the circumstances, whatever the challenge is for that community, for that family, for that school, for that young man, for whatever. You can know that your resources have been crucial in making a change in those people's lives. 
And I mean, if 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 you are concerned about donating to a nonprofit, um, I'm almost positive that that knowledge, that um, that assertion, um, that confirmation that what you do will change the lives of you know young men and the children who come and the women who come behind them. I and mean, I think I think that's a huge benefit. Exactly. Great. Great. Um, so can you talk about uh, where do you see the future of the Civil Rights Society? What do you see in the near future and the far future? All right. Um, <laughs> in the near future, I see us going back, hopefully, once you know society uh, resumes what's going to be normal. Um, I see us going back into schools and mentoring these boys. Um, I see us expanding this high school work. I see us you know, intentionally learning the, the, the work with the young ladies. But now we have young men who are graduating and going to college, right? So we had a, there's a couple, one of the young men who actually came to Warren Easton, the big one, big said, the big football player. Um, that yes. young man, that young man, turned down a scholarship to a full ride academic athletic scholarship to Oklahoma because he wanted to take the package that Georgia offered him because it was a better package to him. So to see a young man have options and then to see the light bulb go over, over his head that affirmed all of the hard work and dedication that he put and invested into himself to see that, you know, see him get his return on investment, you know, like that, that is why the, the, the Silverback Society has to continue to follow these young brothers, right? Um, so that's more immediate. Long term, brother, to be honest with you, I see the Silverback Society working ourselves out of a job. Okay. If we do our job, if we do our job the way we are, we were designed to do it, if we abide by what our mission says we're going to do, I I hope that in the not too distant future, there will be no need for the Silverback Society because you're just going to have a bunch of brothers who who concerned about the well-being of women, children, and community just all over the place. You're going to have to, you, 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 can't, you can't hide from one of us, right? So <laughs> right now, we've got about... 4,000 silverbacks who've gone through the process and are floating around the country. So I feel like, you know, once we reach that critical mass, you know, you, 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 won't, you won't need a silverback society anymore. Okay. 